Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. The trade was one for one. And one more player. And two draft picks. But the point is we won the trade. No, you're there. You're, that was that was worse than a six and a half out of ten. Stupid opening compared to my normal level of stupid jokes out of ten. That was a six and a half. I was gonna sing like this is on Verana the Brad in pajamas. Skip. Okay, yeah. yours was worse than mine. You were <laughs> you were absolutely right to uh, to let me run with that. You you rated your opening uh, as a six and a half out of ten on the stupid skill, and I think that was confidently a seven and a half. Mine was a nine, and I'll I'll own that, but. I don't think yours was, was that good. I would have said it, it would be Evan, but Evan's so angry at us that I just tried to make small talk with him before the show. And in the middle of my sentence, he says, shut up and hit record. <laughs> that is correct. We, uh, from time to time, we have to pivot the schedule. Obviously, today's uh, was Jacob Verona's first game. And, you know, we knew what was going to happen. So we're like, we have to record post game. And <laughs> if you're on YouTube, Evan isn't squinting because his screen is too bright. Evan is hardly keeping his eyes open. Yeah, it's only 10, 16 p.m., but it may as well be three in the morning. Oh, man. Well, um, I'm actually pumped up because that was the most exciting Red Wings game maybe all year. Yeah, easily. <laughs> if nothing else happened besides the Jacob Rana goal, I would still say the exact same thing. I was so damn hyped for that goal and we all knew it was going to happen 100 percent, we, we knew it was going to happen yeah we're just i was just waiting for richard ponick to get in on it but uh guess not all dreams come true no not yet um welcome to the winged wheel podcast we have a lot to talk about this episode but before we jump into it i am ryan Hanna. i'm brad crisco and i'm evan and that's Evan. uh on this episode of the podcast we have <laughs> you hate when i do that I don't care. Just make it, <laughs> make it end. Make it end. <laughs> On this episode of the podcast, uh, we're going to be discussing the Red Wings uh, game, the victory just now over the Chicago, Chicago Blackhawks, in which uh, Jacob Verona scored the game-winning goal. Uh, we'll be revisiting a little bit about that uh, trade, some additional pieces uh, that we didn't have an opportunity to talk about last episode. We have a very special interview with none other than uh, Dmitry Filipovich from EP Ringside and, of course, the Hockey PDO cast. Um, had a good conversation with Dmitry about the trade, uh, his thoughts on uh, Steve Eisenman, and he's generally just going to try to win your hearts back, Red Wings fans. Uh, we have some updates for Red Wings overseas and no longer overseas before jumping into uh, some other league discussion and overtime. All right. Uh, before we jump into it, I want everyone to do me a favor and go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org and check it out. Uh, that is the foundation set up in memory of Jamie Daniels, uh, founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. So go check that out. Uh, more to come on that. Okay, uh, Jacob Verona's first game, sitting in the penalty box to serve one of multiple too many men penalties we'll get to that in a little bit it comes out of the box flying box flying uh takes the perfect pass and i I, i'm not saying this to be funny a mantha-esque finish on the breakaway like that was just the perfect shot 
And the best part of it wasn't the breakaway. It wasn't the shot. It was the celebration and how happy he was to score. Yeah, he uh, the rare emotion after a goal in Detroit. It's been fun this year. Uh, it hasn't been all that fun this year in that regard. And boy, was pumped, which makes me happy because quite honestly, this team lacks a little bit of personality. So if Jakob Verena comes as advertised, more of this, please. Lots more of it. The goals... And the Sellies. <laughs> you talk about personality. It's funny because leading up to this game, we've just been seeing clips of Verona from like the Washington Capitals Cup Parade or like the picture of him. He had like a the Stanley Cup tattoo on his like forearm near his wrist, but he was pulling his t-shirt sleeve up <laughs> to show it off. Uh, and it's just like, oh, this guy's just a straight up himbo. Like he's just a straight up hockey meathead. We love it. It's hysterical. If we were to just take what Capitals fans sent us about Jakob Vrana going into this, I would have just assumed he was hammered all the time. Like Mickey Redmond levels of just never coming down from his good time. Uh, it is important to note, and we looked this up before the the um, podcast, and as well, I think Ken said it on today's broadcast. Uh, it's actually, if you want to pronounce it properly, Jakub, but he says he'd He's okay or or even prefers just Jacob or Jake. So Jacob or Jake Verona is what we'll go with. Jakey it is. Brad, jeez. Oh, well, it's better than, you know. Uh, anyways. Yeah, the, God forbid we pronounce his name properly. Well, you were just saying Jacob, and that's not how you say it. Is it? Is there actually an emphasis on the oob? Yeah, he says I, Jacob. I was, that's, that's more fun. Don't tempt me with a good time, Ryan. <laughs> You're insufferable. Evan, please help me. Um, I can't even find the mute button, so I'm not sure how much help I can be. <laughs> I Yeah, don't give Evan all this shit here. I'm normally actually almost asleep by now, okay? Just be happy I'm here. The uh, the emotion he showed, obviously it's exciting for uh, to see a player score his first goal in his first game with a new team. But when you add in the context of uh, Jacob was not getting the minutes he wanted in Washington, he's obviously playing on a stacked team. He very publicly or very, uh, uh, yeah, publicly is, I guess, the right word. He wasn't in uh, Laviolette's good good favors much like mantha often in the doghouse um and felt he could have a bigger role i don't think it's a perfect analog to mantha i think mantha got you know much more top line minutes and better deployment than verona so for verona to come in do this uh and start out with a goal is just so huge for his confidence and if you're bringing in a guy who I don't want to say he wasn't the centerpiece of the deal he was one of them him alongside the first round pick but if you're bringing in a guy where it's not definite that he's going to be part of the future long term. Um, it really just depends on how he performs, and he finds that motivation to perform. That's massive. It, it upgrades the trade. And I'm not, you know, speaking too far into the future here, but it's just this falls firmly under the you love to see it column. Yeah, and we do have to be a little careful over the next few games in terms of talking about motivation levels and stuff like that with Ponick and Veronica is there always is that immediate boost when you get with the with their new team like just tonight alone Verona scored Manta scored Taylor Hall scored Anders Bjork scored like it happens guys get to a new team they get all jacked up and 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 you see better performances and tonight for the most part Verona looked as advertised for half the game I didn't know he was on the ice um then he had a couple flashes where he made some things happen and 
that's what we were told to expect. Like, hey, he, he's not going to light up every shift, but when he does something, he does something. So it was it was good to see that nobody was blowing smoke up our ass and that he is really good and that this is exactly what we should expect going forward. It's also important to note that this guy came into a lineup that was running 11-7, you know, and if you don't have consistent forward line mates on a brand new team, it's not, no one's going to look anything other than uh, in disarray on offense generally when that's the case, and especially someone who's brand new to the team. So um, I was impressed that he even got the goal, honestly. I wasn't expecting too much from him. You say that, but I've seen Larkin and Zadina take shifts with Vrana, Rasmussen, Filpola, Helm, Gagne, and Ponick tonight, and they were all over it tonight. So some people can do it. Those guys, like Larkin and Zadina, both together and individually, are just on another level lately. Especially Zadina, just I, I, I'm annoying with how much we preach about it, but just those little things in his in his game that he's doing right and better. And sure, the production and the goals aren't coming right now, but anyone who's watched hockey knows it will. If he sustains this, it will, and it will in a big way. This is how you build yourself into a. a a productive player, a dominant player on the ice, and he's doing it on all ends. That one shift where he, you know, uh, skated with the opposing rush down the sideboards, that beautiful one-handed stop to uh, strip the puck and then turn and generate the offensive chance, that was phenomenal. Like, that was just fantastic. Once he figures out what stick he can dial the sights in on, it's going to be unreal. Because that's the thing. He's had the chances, He's just not hitting them. So there's guys who get in a slump and you can see the puck bounces over their stick or it's just, it's not coming to them. It's not finding them. He's getting the chances, which is step one. So it's good that that's happening. He just either hits the defenseman or misses the net way too damn often. And that is not going to be a permanent thing. We've talked about his shooting percentage regressing to the mean, and it is still comically low. So He was, I think, a 13% shooter last year. So even if he averages off to about 10%, I think his, like, no lie, I think his goal total doubles this year. So it is worth keeping an eye on. Yeah. In a year where everyone's numbers are down, you're not going to sweat too much as long as what the player's doing on the ice is, is, uh, you know, good and improving. I mean, not everyone could be Adam Ernie. Who continued his point streak, I believe. I think he got an assist on that Rasmussen empty net goal. He did. And we didn't talk about it because we recorded before the game because it was the the trade deadline recap. But he also had, uh, you know, that incredible performance last game too. The Adam Ernie experience has just been the most wild ride in the world. And I know someday it's bound to come down, but maybe it doesn't. And maybe Adam Ernie scores 100 goals a year for the rest of his (laughs) career. Like. I've never been more happy to be to be wrong. I've never been more happy to be wrong about uh, when to give up on a player. And I had on Adam Ernie. I had a lot of hope for him last season that we could see flashes of offense like this. And and after we didn't see it, even at the start of this season, I was like, eh, it's probably time to let him go. And, you know, gave up too soon. This isn't going to be sustainable. But I think like, I, I, I'm not sure if I said this on the podcast or on Twitter. If he can do half of this, a quarter of this even, and play those meaningful shutdown defensive minutes on the third or fourth line as well, that is great depth. That's the kind of depth I want on the Red Wings. You know, we talked about the kind of uh, uh, 5-on-5 defense the Red Wings lost in Merrill and, um, help me here, who am I missing? Merrill and Nemeth. Yes, thank you. Uh, 
Ernie has, you know, similar defensive impacts on offense. Sorry, as a forward, I should say. So uh, good on him. Another player who's continued to do well and was rewarded with an empty net goal today, Michael Rasmussen. Yeah, he uh, he actually showed two brief glimpses of at least average playmaking ability, which was a nice development because to this point in his career, I've seen none of that. Even the nice assist he had to Adam Ernie in the last game against Carolina, that was a wraparound attempt that he just didn't stuff in, which is fine. If you create a chance someone puts in the rebound, you still should get the credit for creating that chance. But yeah, he made a couple nice passes today, got rewarded on uh, the empty net goal. Still looks good in the cycle. I, Still leaves me wanting off the rush and still leaves me wanting in the slot and in front of the net just because that was his thing and we're, we've really yet to see it at the NHL level. But again, just to temper expectations on Rasmussen because everybody seems to think he's a top six forward now. He's not. I, don't, I still don't think he ever will be. But where he was at the beginning of the year to where I ultimately thought his career would end up, he's already on a better trajectory this season than I would have guessed. So I'm still taking this as a big win. So I'm, I'm not trying to downplay what Rasmussen's done because it has been impressive, relatively speaking. But uh, yeah, he's still got a long way to go if we're talking top six forward. Yeah, what I'm doing with Rasmussen in my head is essentially... I'm stripping away all expectations. I'm stripping away all, you know, thoughts of the draft stock, which is hard to do because, you know, Nachash, Nachash, however you say it. Is it Nachash? Nachash. Every time he scores on the Red Wings, it's like a personal slap in the face. Anyways, um, even I, I take away the whole net front stuff. Like, I'm going to remove all expectations and understanding of who Michael Rasmussen is as a player. I just want to see him go out there, fit in as an NHL player on the third line. I want to see him do a couple good things that are surprising for him a game. And I want to see him just generally hold his own. In his first stint with the Red Wings, which of course, because of the stupid, uh, you know, OHL or CHL, NHL transfer rules came far too early. Uh, you could see the skills he had, but he was just out of his depth in the NHL. And it was almost painful watching him struggle that way. You know, he shouldn't have ever have been in that position. This year seems a lot more comfortable. Obviously, he's had his time in the AHL and, and to, to develop and grow. Um, I just want to see him hold his own, and that's what he's doing. If he never becomes a, a top six forward, but, you know, can play the third line eventually or occasionally slotting up when needed and, and play on the power play sometimes, I'm happy. It is what it is. It's better than it's better than those dud players you draft in the top ten who don't end up playing for your franchise at all because that can certainly happen too. I was thinking about it like a third line going forward with him and another power forward type player. Let's say Adam Ernie or Evgeny Svechnikov on the other side. The you know two players on that line who can really win those down low battles and get it if they can find a center who's a really really good skater a good distributor of the puck not necessarily like obviously if they're anything unbelievable they'd be in the top six but someone that can still drive a line on the third line and i was thinking about it i'm like i don't want to settle expectations but joe valeno would be perfect on that line to offset what the other guys would bring, but I'm still hoping Valeno exceeds the third line. But 
I, I think that would be a good floor for him as well. And that could be a really, really effective third line. But now I'm just dreaming of better days coming. Might have a chance to see a little preview of that soon. More to come. Um, yeah, just a, a good overall couple of games for the Red Wings now. Uh, that's a win streak. A, a first legitimate win streak of the year. Three games. Haven't they had a three-game win streak before? They have not. <laughs> um, obviously, the two games against Carolina, who is apparently this year's Montreal, uh, and then they beat Chicago today. They have one more against Chicago on Saturday and two against Dallas before. Uh, or Sorry, one more against Chicago on Saturday, and then you'll hear from us Sunday. Um, all right, I, I want to talk about something regarding the trade, a couple things regarding the trade. First of all, um, the coverage of the trade afterwards brought up a lot of conversations about the Red Wings timeline because that's what obviously the reasoning that was put forward as to why the Red Wings moved Mantha. He's a good player. He's on a good contract. Sure, he's not having a great year, but that doesn't mean they you know gave up on him. It was just Washington made a great offer and it made more sense for the rebuild because Detroit doesn't feel like they're going to be good enough in time to take advantage of Mantha's best years. All very sound. It's something you've heard us talk about and debate about and bring up on this podcast for months and months and months now. Um, then the comments came afterwards about, well, Larkin's not much younger. So are they going to take the same path with Larkin now? And in a vacuum, I understand that thinking. I mean, Elliot Friedman was the first one to put this forward. And, and Friedge was very careful to say that's just his personal opinion. I don't think this is you know, a, a test balloon put out by someone in the know just to see. I think it's genuinely was just his opinion. I can't believe I'm going to be the one saying this, but I think when you talk about trading Larkin, that's when you have to take an emotional stance on it. You cannot strip away absolutely everything from a team. The fans need a reason to believe in the team he's their captain he's the identity of the red wings right now he's the michigan kid um you don't just trade away every good player because the timeline isn't perfect sure i personally have preached maximize assets that's why i advocated for moving mantha even though i, I i'm a big fan of mantha but with larkin i don't know i feel like that'd be a bridge too far i, I feel like that's that's too far to the extreme and uh, I, I don't see it being fruitful for a lot of different reasons. Well, I think what this is ultimately going to come down to with Larkin is what are his expectations on his next contract? And and that's the cold reality of this business because he's going to be, what, 27, 28 when this contract's done? If he wants eight years, that's a non-starter. I, like that, I don't even entertain that because you don't want to sign someone who as good as Larkin is, will command big money into their mid to late 30s. That has proven to be an awful idea time and time and time and time again, unless your name is Alex Ovechkin or Sidney Crosby. So I think there's no reason to get rid of Larkin now. A, you need to keep some players around. That, even in a rebuild, you can't burn it to the ground like Buffalo did because look what happens. You can't have an entire team, as much as we would all love to see it, of all players under the age of 27. You, that's also not realistic. So you have to hang on to some guys. And again, if Larkin's reasonable on his next contract, man, yeah, he's your captain. You keep him around. And even if he's not contributing at the level he is now and into his 30s, he won't be. That's the reality of it. But he's still productive. 
great. There's not much of a conversation to be had there. But if he's like, yeah, I want my next contract to be $8 million a year over six years, Steve Eisenman is going to go, okay, let me think about that, hang up the phone, and then start dialing other GMs. Like, well, that, that, that's probably going to be the reality of the situation, uh, no matter what we want to say about it emotionally. If, if the contract demands are reasonable, Larkin sticks around. If they're not, he doesn't. And that's just what I think it's going to come down to. I am almost 100% confident that if, assuming Larkin wants to stay and Eisman wants to keep him at the time, I'm 100% confident that it'll be a reasonable deal. You want to know why? Steve Eisman. Yeah. He's done it time and time and time again. Look at every big name he locked down in Tampa Bay. Look at the Stamkos contract. Look at the Point contract. Look at the Kucherov contra- contract. It, it's absolutely insane it was actually frustrating as a fan of a team in the same division watching him do it again and again and again there is the influence of the no state tax in florida on those contracts absolutely but it's been publicly known and it's it's come through in a lot of different negotiations that eisman will stand his ground and he'll do what is best for the team the cap structure and whatever you know shrewd move he's trying to make um and this isn't to project that Larkin's going to be unreasonable. I, I think Larkin has bought into this. Larkin is a big believer in the Red Wings. Watching him talk about, you know, losing another one of his best friends in Mantha on the team was actually heartbreaking. I felt really bad for the kid. Um, you know, Athanasiu got traded, then Mantha got traded. Like, these are his friends. But still, after all of that, he talked about how he wants to win in Detroit. And this is what it takes to win in Detroit. Larkin bought in. And what do we always talk about with drafts? Eisenman wants to pick the Eisenman guys, people who play his kind of game, people who who are his kind of character players. Larkin is the prototypical Eisenman player, works his ass off up and down the ice and is a stand-up guy. I don't see Eisenman moving him. I, it's not that it's even a serious conversation, but I just know outside observers and, and non-Red Wings fans are talking about it because of the age and the timeline thing, but it just doesn't add up the same way Mantha did. No, but you do have to understand, to your point as well, Eisman stands his ground. Let's not forget about the game of chicken he played with Steven Stamkos. He was literally 24 hours away from letting him hit unrestricted free agency before Stamkos said, no, I've got too good of a thing here. Now, the lucky thing here is Larkin's contract is expiring right around when most people think Detroit will be turning it around. So he'll have reason to stick around, hopefully. Um, but Detroit's still bad and, and Eisenman's playing hardline and, and wants to play chicken with Larkin. That might happen too. It's the, it's the good thing. It's the bad side of having a good GM. The game of chicken went so far. We were talking about Canadian tire, uh, being investigated because they were offering contract incentives under the table to Steven Stamkos to come to Toronto. Like we were at that level of Stamkos free agency insanity. We found out after the fact that uh, Detroit didn't even get an interview or uh, a meeting with Stamkos, and we thought we were contenders to sign him. (laughs) And we had to settle for Franz Nielsen. Well, joke's on you, Stevie. You screwed us. Now you get to deal with him. (laughs) Stevie walking to Detroit on the first day. Ah, shit. I did this, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and like i don't want people to get too overblown this the larkin trade conversation it's not like the mantha trade one i I don't think this is a real thing that exists in the world it's just a conversation that that's come up that i thought would be worth addressing um i can't believe i just came out and argued 
in favor of not maximizing assets and instead of considering what the fans want and how it feels. <laughs> Who am I? What am I? Um, other news. Before we jump into the interview here, uh, Columbus was one of the other teams in on Mantha. Did you guys know that? Uh, yeah, team that struggles go- to score goals was in on noted goal score, more at 11. So uh, apparently Columbus is looking to uh, retool, not rebuild. And <laughs> they hope they hope to use first round picks to do that. Um, so it makes a lot of sense that they were going for Mantha. Um I was wondering, though, is there an opportunity here for Detroit to work with those first-round picks? Who would you move on the Red Wings to grab, say, the Tampa Bay first-round pick? (laughs) Franz Nielsen, you can have him back. (laughs) There is not a player on this team over the age of 22, not named Larkin, that is worth a first-round pick. I was talking to um, Eiserman Season on Twitter about this. Credit to him. Uh, he brought up Fabry. I wonder if there's something centered around Fabry there. Fabry makes a ton of sense for Columbus um, if they're trying to retool and if the Red Wings are looking to maximize assets. Fabry will not get you a first-round pick unless you're throwing in a pretty decent kicker, which the Red Wings do have the ability to do. They have a stable full of prospects that aren't all gonna that they're not gonna have room for all of them. They've got 22 picks in the next couple drafts, so if they want to kick in, you know, a late second, a third-round pick to bump up to a first-round pick, that is definitely an option. But if Columbus is looking to retool, they're gonna need to. Aim for uh, bigger targets than Robbie Fabry, truthfully. But he would make sense as a, a final piece once Columbus thinks they're almost there. I'm just thinking about Yarmo Kekalainen and Steve Eisman negotiating on something as complicated as the, a trade for Anthony Mantha. Like, what was that phone call like? Did they actually say any words or did they just sit in stoic silence until one of them said, okay, and the other one said, okay, and they hung up? <laughs> they just stared at each other. Um, I don't know. That one would have been way more complicated because getting Washington's first round pick, Washington's very comfortable giving that up because they know what worst case scenario that's pick 20 Columbus's might be first overall. So that's, that would be a non-starter for them. Um, at the time these negotiations started, they, I'm, they didn't have the first round picks from the Leafs or the Lightning yet, although that could have been a last minute thing, which could have made sense. Would have been fun if we got the Leafs first round pick because that would have just given us that much more incentive to root against the Leafs in the first round. Um, but yeah, there's and and Columbus doesn't really have a player that fit the Jakob Vrana mold and age and production that Detroit could be like, hey, Jacob. Jacob Verona. It shut up. <laughs> like Jakub Verona. Um in terms of agent production. Like Line A, sure we can dream that wouldn't happen. And everybody else that they would have, they would want to keep in that range. Verona falling out of favor in Washington basically was dumb luck for Detroit to get that trade done. All right. Well, we've had a, enough um silly trade speculation trade season is over so why don't we jump into uh, our interview with dmitry filipovich um great conversation where he gives us some insight on uh, verona the mantha trade uh the red wings rebuild and more so without further ado enjoy our interview with dmitry filipovich 
All right. We are joined here today by none other than uh, Dmitry Filipovich, host of the Hockey PDO cast, uh, lead NHL analyst from EP Rankside, and most importantly, Joey's dad. Dmitry, thanks for joining us today. You saved the best for last there. Yes, Joey's dad is most important. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. And um, we'll have to have Joey on on a future episode. I know he's busy. I heard he had a peanut butter appointment today. So yeah, he's he's busy in the bedroom right now working on some peanut butter. But uh, I'm sure he will. uh, He'll come in here at some point and give us some some thoughts on the trade deadline. Beautiful. Uh, Okay, so let's just get started. Um, Dimitri, you you come at things with, you know, a hilarious, but also very objective analytical approach. Um, As a neutral observer to the Anthony Mantha, uh, Jacob Verona trade, what were your initial thoughts? Well, I wanted to come on this podcast because I really need some good publicity with Red Wings fans. Uh, I have, uh, you know, I think a lot of them are good sports and realize that when I'm poking fun, it's just, it's lighthearted and it's not personal. Sometimes I get the occasional Red Wings fan that gets mad at me and thinks that I hate the team, which I really don't. Uh, as soon as they become good, I will gladly talk them up. Uh, I really like the trade deadline for them as a whole. Um, you know, getting involved in the David Savard trade and basically just, stealing a fourth round pick for doing nothing um you know flipping the two rental defensemen for extra fifths i believe like i i liked all that and the rana trade um these are the types of trades that teams in the position that the red wings currently are organizationally should be doing right where you get involved in stuff you take um high upside risks you're banking future assets in the in the form of picks or prospects or young players with high upside. Um, and, and so I, I loved it from their perspective, just because I feel like the downside is pretty minimal as much as I like Anthony Amantha as a player. And the upside is huge here. If, if Jacob Vrana can, can take a next step um, playing on a team that's going to be able to provide him with more ice time than he was getting on the, on the Washington Capitals. So that last point there, he wasn't getting a ton of ice time. Um, that seems to be the common thread when I talk to Washington Capitals fans or those who are f- familiar with Verena. How much different is he than Mantha in terms of, uh, I guess, the kind of player he is and also the production that he's had and you think he might be able to have in an expanded role? Yeah, I mean, Mantha's certainly, I think, a more well-rounded player. He's had better defensive impacts uh, throughout his career so far. And listen, like Verena's your typical uh, high skill, high talent player where he's going to do certain things in the back half of the ice that he's going to occasionally miss an assignment or make a mistake or not necessarily be fully engaged with a board battle or something like that. And those are the types of things that NHL coaches seem to really, uh, hate and despise and punish players for, right? And, and if you look at the coaches he's had over the past couple of years in Washington from Barry Tross to Todd Reardon to Peter Laviolette, like it's very easy to see why he got into their dog houses and why, um, the the ice time wasn't there, especially with how deep the team is and how much talent they have up front. But for the Red Wings, I really view it as a, as a chance for him to spread his wings where there's no good reason for me why he shouldn't be playing top line minutes for them alongside Dylan Larkin. And it's funny, like as soon as I tweeted out, like after the trade, I was like, please just give Jakob Rana all the ice time. I had a bunch of Red Wings fans being like, oh, wow, like let me introduce you to Jeff Blashill. So <laughs> it seems like Red Wings fans aren't necessarily uh, completely sold or completely optimistic about the fact that he is going to get that opportunity. But I really think that, especially for the rest of this season, and then you, you kind of give him a trial run and you head into the offseason, 
negotiate a new RFA deal with him and go from there. But it's a great opportunity to just put him right in there on the wing, I think, especially with Larkin and Zadina, and just allow them to attack off the rush. And if they make mistakes defensively, who cares? Because the team's going to lose anyway. So I think the priorities here for the Red Wings compared to the Capitals allow for them to kind of live with some of those mistakes Brandon makes defensively because the offensive upside is so great. Everything you said there just depressed the ever-living hell out of me because, one, you're right. Um, two, in line rushes at practice yesterday, Verano was skating with Philpola and Rasmussen. And um, we have a coach who, like you said, other Red Wings fans have been complaining about the Jeff Blaschel experience, but he preaches low event, responsible hockey. And we have very little hopes that Verano will be deployed the way he should be, much like Anthony Mantha wasn't. Um do you think there is any concern with a player like Jakob Vrana being brought into a system that is, like I said, maybe the most low event hockey in the NHL? Yes, I absolutely hate it. I, I, I hate when teams operate this way, especially young rebuilding teams that are going to lose anyways. It's like, what's the point? Like, you're not you're not teaching young players how to play properly. Like it's, it's allow them to make mistakes, allow them to play to their skills. And I, I still think though, like if you look Rana, I believe this season was like the eighth most frequently used caps forward. And it was like just below Connor Sheary and just above Nick Dowd. And that's certainly going to improve under the Red Wings. Now, if he's playing with those line combinations that you said, then I certainly think the talent uh, of the teammates he's sharing the ice with is going to decrease because he was playing with guys like TJ Oshie and Nicholas Backstrom and Evgeny Kuznetsov full-time, and, and those are great playmakers for him as a shooter. Um, I really want to see him with Larkin because if you look at it, Rana's best strength is scoring off the rush, and he's a lethal finisher, I believe. He's like basically between been between 13 and 16 percent as a as a shooter for the past three seasons and it's totally legit like he's electrifying off the rush and it makes sense that with Larkin as the primary puck carrier with his speed and his growing playmaking ability like that's a combination that I would be seeing if that is going to be a cornerstone duo for you moving forward if not then you still sign Vrana this summer, but then maybe you explore flipping him down the line for future assets as well. So I don't know. It depressed me just hearing you read out that line combination, and I can totally see a scenario where that's going to be something that happens and we just scratch our heads about it. But I'm still, considering we haven't seen him hit the ice yet for the Red Wings, I'm still holding out hope that the future is bright here in terms of his possibilities. Yeah, uh, Dimitri, you and I were talking before we hit record here about what it's like to, um, you know, basically keep the motivation through a tough rebuild. And uh, one of my ways of coping is to be in constant denial. So I'll refute Brad a little bit. I'll say I do have that hope. I think maybe um, I'll be a little bit of a silly optimist and hope they work him into the lineup. I think Mantha's deployment I don't think his deployment was ever part of the issue. He was benched earlier this year, and I think it was actually rather justified. He was, I don't know, he's, he's had a weird year. Um, it's an, it's an effort thing. Um, and Eiserman specifically talked about deploying Verena in, in Mantha's role. So I am hopeful, like you, Dimitri, that he will get up there and get those top six minutes. And, you know, Mantha only really came off the top line when Bertuzzi got injured and that MLB line went away. Um, well, I was going to say about Mantha, like, I obviously don't, uh, watch him as closely as you do, although I do probably watch too much Detroit Red Wings hockey for my own good, considering I'm a national writer who covers the full league. And, uh, sometimes with teams like the Sabres and the Red Wings, I just can't look away and I just like watch their games just to see what the hell's going on. And, and 
I, I think of obviously, I think the most notable example was early in the season. It was one of the first few games. Uh, it was that overtime against Dallas where Mantha just basically had his, uh, you know, controller disconnected and just allowed Klinberg to, to dance around him and, and create the overtime winner. But I, I, I'm always wary of being overly critical of players who profile like Mantha because I think it's a bit of a blessing and a curse when you have the frame that he does, right? Because you watch him and you go, okay, like the physical tools are so tantalizing here. He should be a dominant power forward. But it's also very easy to kind of uh, just look at that and be like, oh, he looks kind of lazy out there. He looks like he's not putting in the effort. And it's just because he's like, bigger than everyone else so it looks different like you can watch a 5-9 player and they look like they're working so hard and they're so gritty around there but ultimately they're not really accomplishing much more than Manta is so uh, I never really know how to evaluate players that are like as big as Manta is because I feel like our eyes sometimes kind of deceive us in terms of their effort level now getting back to Verona tying into what you just said about Mantha one of the things we've heard coming from a lot of Washington writers and national writers about him is much like Mantha he's a very inconsistent player but in different ways so we've seen and again Ryan the eternal optimist and bless him for it but we've seen time and time again a a high skill player come into Detroit miss a defensive assignment have a bad turnover and then he he gets benched, he gets scratched. It's it's a trend. Um, Dennis Cholosky had a bad turnover last game and he didn't see the ice the rest of the game. Obviously a much different player than Verona, but is there going to be enough of these inconsistencies in Verona's game where you could see a problem coming like Blashill had with Mantha earlier in the year, or is it maybe been a little overblown with Verona? I mean, it's possible considering it's three different coaches now basically in Washington that seem to not love him enough to give him full flight five on five usage. But at the same time, I just like, I don't know, maybe this is a wishful thinking, but he's such a dynamic offensive player that he doesn't need to be consistently great on every single shift, right? Like he could have a bunch of off shifts and then he just goes out there and he creates a goal from scratch. And that's significantly more valuable than a player who's working really hard every single shift, but ultimately not creating much. And so I think, especially for this team, considering the talent deficit they're currently at and the fact that they're going to lose anyways, I really don't see why you would punish a player like him. Uh, especially since he's what he's already 25 at this point, like he's been in the league for a number of years. I, I really, it seems bizarre to me that Jeff Blashill would, use this as an opportunity to to draw a hard line and teach him good habits like this guy has been in the league for a number of years he's won a stanley cup he's scored a bunch of goals this isn't uh, a guy who's coming up from grand rapids and is a 20 year old like i just just embrace what he is as a player shelter him a little bit play him with other talented players and get the most out of him that's the that's the whole point of what a coach should be doing rather than trying to make him be something that he's ultimately not the uh the line it seems bizarre to me that jeff blashill would blank has been used quite plentifully. <laughs> but no, that, that's a really good point. You brought up his age, and I think I want to get your perspective. Uh, you're a national writer, so rebuilds are obviously going to be a popular topic. Buffalo is it's a little bit of a dead end. Uh, Detroit's been an interesting case study in that. You know, what did Eisman walk into after Ken Holland? How long is this rebuild going to take, et cetera? They moved on from Mantha, not because, you know, Mantha was in the doghouse, even though he probably was, but they moved on from him because it was a timeline thing. They thought this team isn't going to compete while he's still in his prime. Let's maximize value. How do you evaluate that? And I guess the more important follow-up question is, where does Verona potentially fit into that? Do you think the best case here is for them to flip him, even if he goes off? Or if he goes off, should they integrate him into the core? 
I mean, that's just a tricky question because normally I would say that by the time a player is like 24 years old, for the most part, you know what they are at that NHL level. Because I think we found through studies that the prime for NHL players is probably much before we used to think. We used to think it's like, oh, between age 28 and 30, that's where they're really going to figure it out. And it actually happens a lot sooner. And at the same time, with a guy like Rana, we haven't really seen him be used to the point where he's just regularly a first liner and then he either makes it or he doesn't. And then we can evaluate him from that. So he's clearly skilled. He hasn't been used uh, properly in my opinion. And so I would need to see him in that usage, at least for the rest of the season, maybe into next year to really figure out whether he is what he, what he was in Washington or whether there's more room for him there. Um, It's a, I was a bit surprised by those comments in terms of uh, the reasoning for moving on from Mantha being the timeline, considering that Vrana is only about a year and a half younger. Uh, at the same time, though, like he's going to be an RFA this summer. They're probably going to be able to get him for a reasonable figure because his counting stats have been suppressed just because he hasn't been playing that much in Washington. And so they can figure out what they have in, in him the rest of the way. And then at some point, if they determine that he's ultimately capped as a middle six guy who is a defensive liability they can surely flip him for future assets down the line but i do still think the the door is open here for him to be a legitimate future piece for them depending on how he meshes with a guy like larkin so i understand it from their perspective because the risk is pretty minimal like he's a legitimate asset they'll be able to get something for him if it doesn't work out in detroit but the upside is so significant that like like i said at the top these are the types of trades that i would be making if i was steve eiserman Ever since the Mantha trade, to kind of get a little philosophical with this, um, I think it was Elliot Friedman mentioned, now he wonders about Larkin's future, given Iserman's comments about the timeline, um, and Larkin being pretty close to the same age as Mantha. I think he's a year older than Verona, a year younger than Mantha. And obviously, every Eklund-type website on the planet has now been reporting trade rumors for Dylan Larkin. Obviously, the Red Wings rebuild isn't all that close from... um, being where we want it to be at most estimates have it anywhere from three to five years before the Red Wings are consistently competitive. Obviously Larkin will be in his late twenties at that point. Vron will be in his late twenties at that point. Where do you sit on? Do you need the quote unquote good vets in the room, even if they're past their prime just to get a team over the hump or is there some logic to, yeah, let's just get as young as we can and see what, where it takes us. I mean, I guess the context is important. Like if the player is still good and they're not, you're not necessarily playing a premium price for them. I'm all for having good veterans in the locker room to show your young players good habits and how they should train and how they should approach it as professionals and all that. But I think for Iserman, like the reason why this trade made sense with Mantha was he was dealing from a position of strength in terms of leverage, right? Cause they have Mantha or they had him under contract for the next three years at 5.7 or whatever, which is really affordable. And so he didn't necessarily have to trade Anthony Manta. It wasn't like he was expiring or they were kind of approaching this crossroads moment with him. And so I think that's why he was able to get the value that he did in the extra draft picks because Washington is clearly operating at a different timeline and they're viewing it from a more desperation perspective of we're trying to win a cup right now. And so I'm sure Eiserman was like, all right, well, if you want me to make this trade with you, like I'm going to need some better value. And that's why he was able to get what he did so um it obviously all depends on like what you could get for a guy like dylan larkin but i i definitely don't think you need to be uh sort of galaxy braining this right now and being like all right we need to trade him right now just because four years from now 
he's going to be older and we still might not be very good. Like he's a good young player right now. You need good young players, especially as you bring uh, these guys into the lineup, like a Lucas Raymond and a Morris Sider. Like you don't want to just bring them into a situation where their best teammate is Valtteri Filippula, you know, like you need actual good players so you can get a better sense of how good those prospects are. Like, I think that's where teams uh, fail a lot here when they rebuild. It's they bring young players into situations where they're not surrounded by any talent. And then when those players struggle, they misevaluate them and think, okay, well, this young player sucks just because he can't produce when in reality, they didn't really give them a fair fighting chance. So I think having players like Dylan Larkin, who are really good right now and figure to still be really good for a number of years is an incredibly valuable asset for the Red Wings as they bring in some of these younger prospects to kind of help make life easier for them talent wise. Yeah, and you know, Dimitri, <clears throat> I do feel bad because you came on here in the hopes of having uh, an opportunity to win the good graces of Red Wings fans, and we just lobbed a "should they trade Dylan Larkin" question at you, so we're not making it easy. So, how about something a little bit simpler? Uh, what's your overall take on on Eiserman uh, as GM of the Red Wings and how this rebuild is going, and and what do you what do you see moving forward? I love, I love Steve Eiserman. He is so good at his job, and, and I just love it because. Um, I think he has a really good sense of, of how this stuff works and how, um, all I want to see from a GM in that HL level is like having a plan, a coherent plan, and then just sticking to it and executing it. Right. It, it might not even necessarily be a plan that I personally agree with, but as long as I can trace the steps of that plan and see that you're actually following it, I'm all for it because there's many different ways to rebuild an NHL and, and, and build a good, good team. And it's pretty clear over the past couple of years, like, on the one hand, it's very easy to just tear it down and have a bad team and accumulate a bunch of draft picks. But at the same time, he's already shown back to his Tampa days, but especially now the past couple of years in Detroit, a keen ability to like target situations where he can just get an extra asset here or there. And, and that's what rebuilding teams should be doing. So the fact that he got the number of future assets that he did at this deadline with minimal, uh, you know, intriguing pieces to work with, like, that's all I want to see from my GM if I'm a rebuilding team. And so, uh, I think they're certainly on the right path. It might, it might take longer. Like when you, when you start hearing them acknowledging that, you know, Anthony Manta as a 26 or 27 year old right now doesn't fit into their timeline. I think that's a bit concerning for fans because the prospect of having to wait another four or five years, like that's a long time. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think it's fair to, to be reasonable and realistic in that regard and not just have this foolish expectation that, oh, next year we're all of a sudden going to be good without having any actual, uh, you know, real things to point to as a reason of why you'd all of a sudden be good. So I, I get where they're coming from in, in that regard. So I, I guess I'm going to throw another hypothetical at you here. Um, let's say Verona comes into the lineup, gets top line immediate minutes immediately from Jeff Blashill. He thrives. Um, you know, the team overperforms and, and succeeds and has a lot of those kind of silver lining wins over the course of the rest of the season. Uh, Blashill's contract is up. What do you do this offseason if that's the case? Would you be in support of holding through with him? Or are you, again, and I understand you might not have a a firm pulse on Blashell as a coach. Would you seek out another uh, coach for the Red Wings? I think I have a pretty firm grasp of Jeff Blashell as a coach. (laughs) I think think I've gotten a good sense of it over the past however many years. What I don't have it up in front of me right now. Do you you guys know what... uh in terms of like the longest tenured coaches, he, I think he's like really high near the longest tenured guys, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy to there. think about. Um, yeah, it was amazing last year where I remember I, I would tweet, uh, there was a stretch where uh, like four or five coaches had been fired between Red Wings wins. 
And uh, I'd always tweet it out and people would be like, Jeff Blashill wasn't one of the five that was fired. And I was like, well, like, what's the incentive for the Red Wings right now to be getting rid of Jeff, Jeff Blashill? Like, they're not trying to be good. They're not even hiding that fact. Like, it's fine. Um, but at the same time, as you bring in these younger players into the lineup, if he is mishandling them and punishing them for making uh, very understandable mistakes and not allowing them to uh, develop properly, then that's where I would have an issue with it. So I'm not sure. I, I think there's there's a lot of good coaches that are available right now to be hired, but at the same time, they're the types of coaches that would probably want to be uh, coaching a good team with a bunch of veterans, and I'm not sure that that would be a right fit. So I don't know. Like, wh- wh- how do you how do you feel about Blash Hill and, and his staying power here? I don't know, Brad. Do you want to go first on that one? Yeah, I, I might as well go because any all our listeners know where I stand. I I personally, um, without trying to sound too dramatic or insulting, I've been off the Blashill wagon for at least two years now, and that's not even necessarily a shot at him as a systems coach. Um, even though I, I disagree with fundamentally with most of his systems, but again, I, you can make a case for a bunch of different playing styles. So I'm usually not here for that argument, but we've seen so much regression and lack of progression from a lot of key prospects and young players on the Red Wings that, you know, obviously a couple guys flame out. It happens here and there, and it's just the nature of hockey, but how often it's happened under his tenure, like Larkin's taken a couple big steps back over the last couple of years. Uh, Mantha's a guy who never reached his full potential, which is one of the big talking points with this trade. We all know what happened with Athanasiu, who actually fits, uh, not that they're the same skill level, but who actually fits a very similar player profile to a Jakob Vrana off the rush, fast, bad defensively. And then you, you culminate it all together and it's like, well, what's the common denominator here? Because it's not Grand Rapids because they've had a lot of success stories coming out of Grand Rapids. So to me, it funnels into they get to Blash Hill and then what we expect to happen with them doesn't. And in a lot of cases, they actually go south because um, of all people, Don Granado, the coach of the Sabres, did, had a quote about, you know, you can coach all the systems you want, but if your entire game is just focusing on systems, you're not really developing skill in the game of hockey. And I'm, I'm I said, hire this man immediately um, just for that statement alone. But that has happened with the Red Wings. You watch the way they play and you watch the progression of the prospects and and you can kind of piece it together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to evaluate him ultimately because the team hasn't been good and they have a lot of bad players. And I, I think the best coach in the world could probably not wouldn't get much headway with them but you're right when you when you say that like it's it's tough to point to too many uh success stories of wow this player has developed so well under him and 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 that is an issue for a team that's trying to ultimately be in the business of developing young players right now so i don't know i i i I really struggle with it i ultimately i i tend to fall on the side of like nhl coaches generally being pretty bad in terms of just what they're trying to accomplish and their incentive structure and how they treat young players. And I think we need a big reform in that regard. So Blashill falls into that group for me. And, and I, I think it doesn't differentiate him from a lot of the other potential hires they would make that would probably wind up falling into the same traps that he has. Yeah. A lot of that for me too is, you know, I, I know 
I'm guilty of assigning a lot of blame on Blashill that really just belongs to this is a bad team going through a rebuild that nobody could recover. But, you know, even if he's done everything right and we just can't see it because it's masked by how terrible the team is, I also think there's a, a credibility to the, to the theory that, you know, coaches in the modern NHL have a shelf life and maybe he came in two or three years too early to see the other side of this rebuild. I, I just don't know if he has that voice in the room anymore. So it remains to be seen. It, anyone who said, who argues, you know, Blashill hasn't had the opportunity for a good team is technically not wrong. You know, there's frustrations with specific points like Brad very duly mentioned, but um, you could always make that argument that he just hasn't had enough. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think it's hard to envision a coach coming in before the crash, during the crash, and on the other side of it after the team has been successfully rebuilt. You just don't see it in the modern NHL, I feel. Yeah, I guess what would like, what's the end goal of bringing in someone else at this point? Like, especially where they're at right now. Like, I, I guess it would just be exciting for Red Wings fans that have been disappointed over the past couple of years by Blashill to, to kind of at least have some sense of optimism that things are going to be different. But I think the results would probably be a lot more of the same until some of these young top prospects start coming into the lineup and actually producing. Yeah, half the time we just try to feel something, honestly. <laughs> That's why we're so excited by the trade. Which there's, there's something to be said for. Like, uh, just throw the fans a lifeline in terms of like, all right, there's a reason for hope. We like a new yeah. coach. Yeah. Yeah. That's why when, when Fridge keeps talking about moving Larkin, like I know what he's, it's, it's a very fair argument, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if you can rip that away from Red Wings fans. And, you know, on our show, we're very much, we very much try to be grounded and objective and say, it's easy to get emotional, but let's look at the long term, you know, actual, uh, on paper output of this. But you can't just tear away all the hope and, and excitement for fans. There's just, the fans are the butts in the seats are the ones who are paying the owners like that's you can't yeah well i can tell how excited you guys are about adam ernie that you def- desperately need <laughs> things to latch on to hey look man you're the one who made a fan cam of heronic's uh empty net goals <laughs> that was one of the most like deranged things i've ever done on twitter just a guy just, just smacking pucks from his own goal line into the net i love it I love when people can experience the pure hysteria that is following and creating content about the Red Wings right now. Like, it is just the most insane bullshit. Like, Adam Ernie cannot be stopped, but maybe actually right now. Like, Heronic is having a bad season, but is automatic from 200 feet. Like, it is upside down, Alice in Wonderland, pure bullshit. So, my my favorite of our straws that we're grasping at right now is for a former ninth overall pick has turned his game around so he looks like a legitimate third line option right now. <laughs> oh man. Well, at least no one could have seen that one coming. No. How could anyone have seen? That was uh well, anyways, you've you've won good graces with Red Wings fans. Yeah, let's, not let's stop here. Miserable. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, uh Dmitry Filipovich, the hockey PDO cast and on EP ringside uh Dimitri, thanks so much for joining us. And hopefully the next time we talk, we'll have a little bit more to talk about on the rebuild. So let's do this again for sure. Hey, this is a blast, guys. Thanks for having me. And welcome back. That was our interview with uh, Dimitri from the Hockey PDO cast and EP Ringside. Uh, great conversation with Dimitri. And it's always good to get a, a neutral observer's view on this. And uh, he worked <laughs> he worked hard to get back in uh, the Red Wings, Red Wings fandom good graces. I think right when you, if you start with, I love Steve Eisman. If a phrase starts with that, then you know you're both working hard and accomplishing, uh, winning everyone's hearts and minds. Who might maybe we're pissed at you for um, trolling justifiably the Red Wings. Although half of the Red Wings fandom is just trolls. 
someone asked me uh, the other day, they're like, hey, what's with the Aussies? And I'm like, okay, I, I never knew this coming into it. But I now know two definite things about Australians. One, they have impeccable taste in sports franchises. There's a huge contingent of Red Wings, Aussie, uh, Aussie Red Wings fans, as we know. Um, and two, they are the world's most notorious shit posters. Like just relentlessly, it's the only way they know how to comment, exist in a, in a social sphere. And it's hysterical, but just unhinged tune to 150 shit posters and then that's that's how we have this beautiful thing that is you know red wings fandom um love you guys thank you rowan um okay before we jump into some other conversations here i do want to tell you um no never mind actually we're gonna just jump into the next topic um joe valeno his team has been eliminated from the SHL playoffs. Uh, his season in the SHL is over. He has been recalled to North America uh, and assigned to Grand Rapids for now. He will be ready to play as of Sunday. So on the same day as our next episode, uh, that should be what it, it works out to with his quarantine provided nothing goes uh, awry. Well, Grand Rapids game was canceled tonight. So, you know, good good sign there. Do we see Joe Valeno's short audition in the NHL to close out the year. We should. Um, as Demetri was saying, the team is bad. Wins don't matter. Try some shit. Now, I'm not saying Valeno needs to get the maximum amount of games, but, you know, they traded away a bunch of guys at the deadline. There's roster spots to be had. Toss him in there for a few games just to get his feet wet. I'm a big believer in just get to know the league. You put him in a game against Carolina, Tampa, Florida, just two or three games. Hey, this is what it's like. So when you go finish your season in Grand Rapids, understand this is the new standard that we hold you to. So you did great in the SHL kid. You finished strong in the AHL last year. This is what you need to get to. So yeah, I I would throw him in for... uh, in certain number of games here, I really don't care how many. Um, and uh, yeah, let him play most of the remaining of the season in Grand Rapids. And it's important to note, it's not like he'll be new to Grand Rapids, right? Like he played there last season. He's been established there. Um, and the Red Wings are running 11 forwards right now. In the press conference after the trade deadline, uh, Eisenman was asked about who's going to step in. And he named, you know, Chalosky, Lindstrom, Giovanni Smith, Maybe and uh, he did say Valeno. Maybe so. I, I don't think it's a definite thing. But if everything goes according to plan and there's no massive hitch, which like again, like you mentioned, Brad, games are being canceled in Grand Rapids. Um, there's some pretty big hitches out there. Um, yeah, let's get this guy in. Let's see what he can do. He just played a full season against grown men in a pro hockey league in, in the SHL, and he played in the AHL. Same thing last season. Let's get his audition. Just a few games, just for fun. Just to feel something, you know? So, <laughs> like, like Dimitri said, just give fans a reason to watch. That's it. That's it. I'm hopeful. I, I'm actually pretty confident that we might see it, but fingers crossed as Valena Watch continues. Um, Cider Watch, as expected, Rogla has been an absolute beast. Uh, uh, steamrolled for London in the SHL quarterfinals and have moved on. Um, it was a season sweep or a series sweep. Um, that means Lucas Raymond uh, is eliminated. His team is eliminated as well as uh, Elmer Soderblom. Um, 
Do we see Raymond? My intuition says no. No, because he, him and Soderblom didn't get into a game in that series because they were both out with injuries. So I'm going to say slim to no chance we see either of them this year. Yeah, just the process of like, you know, signing contracts, getting them over, quarantining, et cetera, et cetera. Like I know Raymond was apparently looking at playing if the season went long or the series went longer against Rogla, but uh, I have to imagine they'll want him to just recover, get that um, elbow healed properly and have a good strong offseason where he puts on a ton of strength. Uh, builds up his speed even more, builds up his shot strength even more, and and be ready to come probably to Grand Rapids next year. You know, he'll be at camp, of course, but you know next year will probably be a, a pro season in the AHL. Could be. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they get him to ride out another season in um, for Lunda either. Um, you think so? I could see it. It's uh, what what league do you consider to be better, the AHL or the SHL? Uh, I don't, I'm not so concerned about better. I, I'm more concerned about exposure to the North American game and in proximity to Detroit. I, I agree. I would rather him be in the AHL, but I don't think that's a foregone conclusion yet. You want to bet money on it? No. Evan, do you want to bet money on it? I, ha- I have no money anymore. <laughs> Why? Where'd it go? Did something happen? Yes. I decided to put it into a structure that's built of brick and mortar. Idiot. It's, it's not stonks. You should have bought GameStop or what's that? What's the crypto going off right now? Dogecoin. Yeah, we should get uh, that. We can't make a good coin name with our podcasts, can we? No, no, no. P coin. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's Ew. avoid that one. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, any other news around the NHL before we jump into overtime here? What else is happening? Oh, uh, Anthony Mantha. Jeez, you, the same way we knew Verona was going to light it up for Detroit, we knew Mantha was going to do this with Washington. Why we put the disclaimer out last episode, this is exactly what we were expecting. <sighs> okay, first it was a gorgeous goal, the first goal. He had a, another goal tonight, a nice redirect in, but the first goal was like, that goal was very show Washington fans what you're getting with Mantha when he's on. Um, the discourse that followed, I immediately muted the conversation on those tweets. Like, oh my God, you cannot draw any conclusions from a single game. I don't care whether you loved Mantha or hated him. What a stupid argument. He's playing on a better team with better players where he gets more space. Yeah, it's more likely that he's going to score. There's literally nothing else to it. You can't say anything about Blashill or Laviolette. You can't say anything about systems, really, because Mantha doesn't know the damn systems. He's out there just doing his best right now to not screw up and doing a good job of it. It's genuinely just he's playing with better players. He's hyped up because he's on a new team. Of course, he's motivated. The exact same thing that we saw with Verona tonight. There's nothing else to it. Everyone, I, I understand it's been a little bit of shitty weather lately, but oh, my God. Guys, please. <laughs> No, we are absolutely here to live and die on small sample sizes. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely are. I'm still just so pumped up by that Verona goal, though. Like the moment I, I the moment I saw someone streaking on a breakaway, I'm like, it's Verona. I 100 percent it's Verona. And then I saw the shot, I'm like, oh, that's Verona. <laughs> yeah, Darren Helm got so amped up, he got a breakaway in the third period and didn't even touch the puck. Did Taylor Hall score today? Speaking of Darren Helm, yes, he did. Oh, look at that on a breakaway. Good for him. 
He was like, he was literally worse than Darren Helm on breakaways over the past couple seasons. I think someone put together a, a highlight reel. Like he was a travesty. Yeah. What was it? Over the last two seasons, no, two seasons, nobody in the NHL had had more breakaways than Taylor Hall and he scored on zero of them. That is. Oh, so he had well, one of those like half breakaways tonight where he was in front of the defender, but the defender was right there, but he actually scored on it. But that wasn't. We got to talk about the nicest goal of the night. Danny DeKaiser, after two horrific giveaways tonight, oh. just has the nicest pass of his career to Troy Stetcher, who doesn't even go for the wraparound, just the backhand talk short side. Oh my, what was that call? I saw that pass. I'm like, that literally reminded me of like Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, like, Look one way and then snap the puck across the uh, uh, across the through like the slot. five players yeah. <laughs> and it hit Stetcher in stride on the tape just as he got free. What was that? You know where that goal came from? Because you had just tweeted, I never know what Danny DeKaiser is doing with the puck. No, because he had two plays <laughs> in like a span of five minutes where it wasn't even that it was a bad giveaway. It I couldn't even comprehend what he was attempting on those plays. And then he does that. Also, Stetcher, neat little tuck in. Like that was a, it was a tidy little goal. His, uh, his laugh after he scored that slap shot that shouldn't have got in was us watching Adam Ernie through this entire streak. Like that yeah. we're laughing <laughs> the exact same way. I love Troy Stetcher. It is so easy to like that guy. We are going to have to protect him in the expansion draft, aren't we? Yeah, that's fine by me. I'm perfectly happy with that. Well, there's. You, yeah. I hope you're not that attached to Gustav Lindstrom then. <laughs> uh, you've, you've seen me not proclaim too much Gustav Lindstrom this year. A lot of that's because we haven't seen him, but. And no. yet, how did yeah, Jacob Rana end up on that breakaway, Ryan? I, I'm happy you brought it up, Brad, because uh, <laughs> did you see them celebrate together after? They're best friends now. The, yeah. Now we, we just lost Dennis Chalosky in the expansion draft because of that goal. <laughs> you don't know how much. I like I like Dennis Chalosky, but from a Ryan-Brad rivalry perspective, that brings that's a pure victory in my mind. Like that is food. For, <laughs> that's food for my soul. It's okay. Watching both of them this year, I've come to the really uh, controversial conclusion of – if we lose either of them, I don't really care anymore. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, we'll get to expansion draft stuff soon. Now, if you think the expansion draft stuff's controversial, just wait till we get into the Elias Pettersson conversation, which is still to come. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, what do you think? Should we sing Verana in pajamas like for 10 more minutes before jumping into overtime? I'm leaving. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to jump into overtime here, uh, which on this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast is sponsored by the FanDuel Sportsbook, which means it's time for us to make more uh, predictions. I don't know how I'm doing. I don't think it's good. I still think Brad's beating us, Evan, so we have to pick up our game here. Um, let's look at some betting lines, and we'll see what we think. So I'm on the FanDuel, or sportsbook.fanduel.com here. Um, okay. Starting tomorrow, Calgary, Montreal. Calgary's the away team. Uh, Montreal is the favorite over under, also set at five and a half. What do you do here? Okay, so a couple things here. One, people keep, I still see the theme of Montreal should be a lot better than they are 
going around all of national media, and I still, for the life of me, don't understand why, but whatever. This is one of the very few actual playoff races left in the NHL because the Central's basically set and the East is basically set. You got Arizona kind of keeping it interesting out West, and then Calgary kind of keeping it interesting in the North. That being said, Calgary did just beat Montreal yesterday. And Calgary knows if they drop any games to Montreal, their season's probably done. We are that close to the end of the season, and Montreal has enough games in hands where Calgary can't blow any. So Calgary's going to be playing motivated tomorrow, and Montreal has not been playing well lately. I think both teams are going to be gripping the stick pretty tight, understanding the gravity of this game. So I am taking Calgary and the under. Um... Yeah, I, I think we're going to take Calgary here, but I'm going to go with the over. I don't know why. I just have a feeling. I'm what was the over-under set at? Five and a half. Yeah, I think I'm feeling the under on that one as well. Calgary's won three in a row, so they're about to come back down to earth. Montreal's going to win. All right, let's go with the heaviest favorites. I just want to see if anyone wants to go against the grain here. LA visiting Colorado. Colorado is the <laughs> minus three thirty five favorites. That's the heaviest favorite I've seen in a while. Uh, over under set at uh, five and a half, with over also being the heavy favorite there. Two things: trap game, Devin Dubnik, L.A. in the over. Yeah, I got it. Wait, sorry, did you say L.A. In the I over? said L.A. Devin Dubnik is terrible. I know Colorado's an absolute buzzsaw, but every team has that trap game. And they're with Grubauer being on the COVID list, Colorado's goaltending sucks. So if there is ever going to be a favorite where there's a good good opportunity to cash out on a payout this big, this is the game. Like, not that LA has... Not that I'm saying LA is a lock here. Far from it. Bad goalie, trap game. This has the makings of making some people some money. Um, I'm going to go with the safe Colorado over just because I want to be right against Brad. I didn't think Dubnik was bad in his first game. And I think if there's any team who can uh, sort of shelter a bad below average goalie, it would be Colorado. So I'm going to take Colorado in the over. To be fair, in their defense, LA is not a basement dweller this year. Oh, apparently no. they are. <laughs> I think it's more, yeah, just about how good. It's Colorado more about is. Colorado. Colorado's yeah. just an absolute truck right now. All right. Uh, Islanders visiting Boston with Boston being the favorite and uh, the under set, over under set at five and a half, and the under also being the favorite. I'm Boston taking the Islanders. The favorite? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll smash the Islanders on that one. Yeah, that, yeah that's absolutely. Is there something we don't know about the Islanders? Could just be that they're away or that Boston's heated up. In a season where home ice advantage matters less than any time before. What is home ice advantage like this year? Has anyone run the stats? Is it uh, significantly reduced? Should look into that. Uh, I was actually reading something that over the last five years in general, it's been trending downwards as teams just get smarter about travel. I see a huge, huge impact in soccer. Like when I watch soccer i'm just like that has a mat like european it has a massive massive impact on the game like watching liverpool games right now is depressing for multiple reasons but it's like 
it is a different game the way they play with no fans there. And I mean, in the NHL, home ice advantage still gives you the advantage of the matchup. But I don't think there's a single team in the league where the matchup matters less than the Islanders. Like they they will just smother you no matter who's on the ice. So Boston, Rask and Halak are still out. How long are Vladar and uh, Swayman going to hold up as two rookies in net? The Islanders are ahead of the Bruins in the standings, which is why I'm confused about this. Yeah, I'm I'm taking the Islanders, and I don't know what the over-under is. I don't remember what you said, but it's the Islanders, so I'm just taking the under. Yeah, it's five and a half, and that's yeah. the favorite there. Yeah, let's do that. I think that's a unim- unanimous decision. Seems like it is. All right. Uh, check out the FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. Sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. Uh, if you have a gambling problem, call one 800 522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, in Illinois or Virginia, Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right, over time, let's get to some Patreon questions. It's technically a midweek episode. I know we're recording on a Thursday night rather than a Wednesday night. Uh, Alex Zucco says, uh, if you uh, can, can you update us on how you see the fallout from the trade deadline affecting Stevie's plan for the Seattle expansion draft? It doesn't. He, no? he, he might try to leverage other teams for more bad contracts, which he absolutely should. Um, and he's done it effectively three times now this season, um, leveraging bad contracts for picks. Um, but in terms of the Red Wings protection list, no, because really the only guy that you took off your protection list in terms of who they got rid of was Mantha, but he's just going to be replaced by Vrana. You're still going to protect probably Heronic and Stetcher as your two locks on defense, so it always was going to come down to Chalosky or Lindstrom. I guess Christian Juice can be in that conversation now, but I don't I don't see that happening. So, yeah, I don't think it changed anything. And it also seems like um, Bernie wants to come back, which is nice to hear. I mean, we kind of suspected, but, you know, Larkin said, um, and credit to Max, I think I read this in Max's article on The Athletic, um, Larkin did say uh, Bernie had been stressed for the last couple or for the couple weeks leading up to the deadline, you know, worried he'd be moved. Um, and if a player's stressed about being traded like that, you know, they want to stay. So Eisenman just waits to sign Bernie until after the expansion draft. So you don't have to protect him and then you get to bring him back. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of gentlemen's agreements on contracts uh, this year and a lot of signings coming out shortly after the expansion draft. <laughs> Funny the timing is such a coincidence. That doesn't sound like the NHL at all. No, <laughs> no. Although, I mean, watching what Vegas got away with, I'm not exactly crying for Seattle here. No, and I think where everything impact, at least not that the trade deadline impacted this, but I think it underscored it with how GMs were acting, is I think Eiserman could flex his muscle with teams that are going to get screwed by the expansion draft. Not, not that this one will happen specifically, but to give you an example... Ryan Suter, uh, Jonas Brodeen, and Jared Spurgeon all have no-move contracts. Right now, Minnesota probably can't protect Matt Dumba in the expansion draft. And if they do, it means they're going to be losing a very good forward. So 
uh, do the Red Wings trade for Dumba or do they trade for one of the forwards? So, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams in situations like that. Would the Wild rather lose Matt Dumba for nothing to Seattle or would they rather lose Dumba to Detroit for insert trade package here? And again, I'm not saying that one specifically is going to happen, but there's going to be a dozen circumstances like this that you could talk about. Third man in says trading Mantha was the right move. Not going to lie, though, seeing the thank you video the Wings put out showing his draft day in his interview after his first game with the Caps where he talked about how much he loved Larkin hit me in the gut. However, seeing the outpouring from Washington about Verona makes me confident we're, get, er, we're getting not only a good player, but a personality we're going to love as long as he's here. Do you agree that this only makes it more likely that Bertuzzi, Hronik, and, well, Verona are next? Next in being traded or next in line i don't think this makes it more likely that they're going to be traded um, no unless you mean next for the red wings in which case yes those guys have to be part of the core if they're in detroit Otherwise, yeah even if it's gone even if the core is a little older you still need like we talked about earlier some bodies uh thomas anderson said an interesting topic that we might be able to do in the future is a, is a where are they now segment curious about how the other side of a trade worked out for some of our recent departures thanks for the entertainment that'd be a good patreon exclusive actually oh speaking of which uh for those of you freaks who are like brad about uh hockey gear um brad has a uh, has etched into his table how many times zadine has changed his stick uh check the patreon thread about uh the gear nerd podcast brad will be recording sometime this weekend we'll post it soon after um ask your questions anything hockey equipment related and brad is going to answer it for you um la plata peak says i'm guessing juice is the one who will be holding verona's hand as the ladder takes the ice does this factor increase uh, the likelihood that juice is brought back next year and if he's not who do you think is most likely to take responsibility of making sure verona is able to play in games oh boy i would say it would have to be one of the czech guys on the team but uh, verona is the oldest of them so <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe yeah, it, with it yeah it would have to be juice because uh they're the old caps buddies uh matt whip evan this is a question for you says given your golf expertise how good do you think verona is at golf is he an upgrade to mantha by the way can we get that patreon exclusive live stream of evan golfing I don't know how either of their games are, but if I had to guess, I don't know if any Czech professional golfers, so I assume golf is not big. So I'll say Mantha is a better golfer. Also, Mantha's had a lot more time to practice over the last few years versus Verona. Very true. Uh, Apparently, Mantha takes Larkin's uh, money at the golf course, so I think that's a downgrade, downgrade for Detroit with the driver. Uh honestly one day we will stick a gopro on evan as he's out in the course i will, will be happily, not safe for work i will happily follow evan around on the golf course for a live stream brad you know what we should do one day is go to evan go with evan to his fancy ass golf course and both of us dress up like old-time caddies and we'll be a double caddy for Evan. <laughs> <laughs> like really ham it up you can, one of us uh, handles the bag one of us handles the scorecard yeah. so at some of the tournaments that uh the club hosts you can have caddies that's you're allowed to bring a caddy yep can i please be your caddy i don't know what information (laughs) you'd give me that i don't already know dude (laughs) absolutely nothing useful i will be the most useless caddy in history but one i'll be wasted and two it'll be fun as hell for me can i have one of those plaid hats with the little ball on top it has you have to 
Yeah. You should get the the white jumpsuit that they wear at the Masters as well. Oh yeah. Oh yes. man. I'm just so happy for Hideki. Uh Matt S says new listener this year and new Patreon member keep up the good work you three. Matt Thank you, and welcome to the Dub Dub family. So I don't know how I feel about the Mantha trade yet. Yes, we got a haul, and I feel like Verona may end up like Fabry and find a second wind here. Uh, also happy he's wearing 15 and not 13. But I miss Mantha already, especially seeing his performance with the Caps. Just remember, it's not about... It's the kind of tough move that almost needed to happen. And that's where you appreciate Steve Eisman as your GM, because GMs who make more emotionally-based decisions don't make this move, and the rebuild stays as stagnant as it was and let's not forget we went through all these same emotions when we traded tomash tatar for a reasonably similar package and the fur two of the three assets from that trade are now joe valeno and robert master simone so most red wings fans aren't too torn up about it anymore i saw the common sentiment of this is the red wings extending their rebuild and i really can't disagree more maybe we should save this for a topic for a future episode but i think it I think it moves it up, or at least it gives them a better chance to move it up. It doesn't change the timeline. This was the realization of the timeline, not the changing of the timeline. Exactly. They were moving the assets to match with the the reality of the timeline, yeah. Uh, Future 50 goal scorer Adam Ernie Stan Club says, Do you think Stevie noticed how the Wings have a better record over the past two months than the Habs, who've lost 20 of their last 30 and got worried about losing a horrible GM in the division? which in part led to the underwhelming return on the Merrill trade, because I do. That's the kind of galaxy braining we're here for in the Patreon comments. <laughs> Aaron Hudson says, uh, hey guys, if the Wings could win only one of the 2022 or 2023 drafts, what would your preference be? Oh boy. Um, God damn. I, I, I don't 2022 know. just for just because it's a year sooner, honestly. Yeah. Oh, but Connor Bedard, man. But Shane Wright, man, there's no bad answer here. Uh, Max Lightman says, why was Lashoff even in the Savar trade? Was it important to find someone else to pay his salary or just for cash purposes? I think it was just for moving contracts, honestly. It was for cash purposes because we didn't talk about it, but someone else pointed it out after the fact. Sending Brian Lashoff's contract to Tampa literally meant the Red Wings actually did not spend the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that they oh real dollars you're talking yeah yeah so they they actually got David Savard uh, sorry they got that first round pick I can't talk it's like (laughs) they got that fourth round pick for literally nothing. Uh, Benji says, apparently you guys don't have any of those. Oh, Benji is the one who's eating our, uh, merch says you guys don't have any of the winter hats with a big puff ball on top. So I had to go with a mug for some nice boozy, hot chocolate and a t-shirt. I know you're pushing for me to go and eat the, the thongs, which is the sandals, but in all honesty, being barefoot is more fun and I don't want to die. Shocker. I know instead I donated $25 to the Jamie Daniels foundation. Please accept this as a penance for my ridiculous statements on Twitter. (laughs) Benji. Your debt is paid. Thank you for supporting the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Consider yourself clear of Brad's <laughs> Brad's debt, which is the worst thing to be in. Uh, Dave, with a very important comment. Dilly, dilly. Neil G says, hey, guys, it was awesome hearing Ryan get called. Oh, hey, 
Thanks, Neil. Uh, it was awesome hearing Ryan get called out in the last Wings broadcast by Ken for donating to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Props to you guys for supporting such a worthy cause. Uh, thank you. And again, we mean it when we say more to come on that. We are uh, working on that with the Jamie Daniels Foundation. More to come. Uh, Evan, I was gearing up for the golf season here in Alaska, which is only a few months long, but I broke my collarbone while on vacation in Hawaii and I had to have surgery. I'm hoping I can salvage some of the last part of the season. Not going to lie. This makes me think back to when you rolled your ankle doing sweet skateboard tricks. Yeah, that, that is tragic. Both of those events. Yeah. Tony says, becoming uh, became a Wings fan during the 2014-2015 season. Oh, God. Needless you to say, I haven't... the worst timeline. <laughs> haven't had much to root for. My friend that introduced me to the Wings introduced me to your podcast, and you guys have made the suffering of this rebuild just a tad less painful. So I want to say big thanks for what you do. Well, Tony, no one can ever say you're not a real fan. You have gone through the worst of it. <laughs> Uh, question, uh, friend says Ovechkin isn't the greatest goal scorer of all time. I argue he is. If not Ovi, who do you guys think is the greatest goal scorer of all time? And if Ovi, what arguments can I use to help convince my friend? Okay. So it is Ovi. Um, he is putting up ridiculous amounts of goals in an era where people are not scoring as many goals. You almost have to take everybody from the 80s out of the equation because their era-adjusted stats just don't hold up. Even Gretzky's era-adjusted stats don't always hold up. Um, the one guy doesn't get talked about enough that probably should is Brett Hull because he is right up there, especially when you factor in the era-adjusted. Um Mario Lemieux should always be in that conversation. He was just ridiculous. Um, Trottier, bossy. Not Troche, but Bossy, yeah. He's probably the other guy from the 80s that you could make an argument for. The one for me, though, just given how early his career ended due to injuries, is Pavel Bure. He just pulled goals out of his ass. Like, he was the guy. Like, I don't want to say he was Datsuk before Datsuk because they were very different players. But in terms of the... He got the puck on his stick and just walked through five guys and turned them all inside out and ended in a goal. It was Burray. And when you look at his rough goal scoring pace versus how early his career was cut short, he would have broken 700 goals. So he, he should be in those conversations because he only played what, like seven, 800 games. If that, yeah. Uh, Andrew Bohan says dumb fantasy hockey question for my dear dub dub boys, which hall of famer from the nineties, backwards would stand the best chance of still being as good as they as if they were as they were dropped in today's game in their prime i don't know what backwards means there beret <laughs> would be a decent answer here yeah that's actually not a bad answer Fedorov would be decent Fedorov, yeah basically in today's nhl you have to be smart and quick um so beret Fedorov both meet that i think mary lemieux is just so physically dominant he would do amazing in any era uh, Yager, I mean, did do well in both areas, so I guess I guess we'd have to say him. Uh, the worst person imaginable says another story time here. I was at work uh, when the trade deadline happened and everything, uh, but all I got is a text saying, did you guys really just trade your captain? And below that was, wow, Mantha to the caps. So I spent the better part of an hour because I couldn't look stuff up at the time thinking Larkin and Mantha being traded at the same time. That's devastating. <laughs> uh mike seward says so if we re-sign bernier what would a good offer be and who would you be willing to buy out at the end of the season what? uh if you if we re-sign bernier what contract would it would uh, you look for 
something pretty similar to what he's on now, a one or two year deal in the three ish million dollar range. Give him what Grice has for the rest of his contract, call it even. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Veranas in pajamas says, Good day, Dud Duds. I think the biggest part of the whole trade was what newly uh what number newly acquired Verana in pajamas would wear. And I was very sad to see he did not keep his number 13, uh, which he definitely should have, but likely didn't because fans get all pissy about numbers. See Josh Hosang in number 66 for a different bloody franchise. Now I Verano, he I Verana, instead of wanna hear you all sing along with the following. Come on, Brad. Veranas in pajamas are skating down the ice. Come on, Brad. <laughs> uh, their playmaking is nice. Are trying to score some goals because on game day, they try to catch the goalie unaware. See, Rowan's good at this, man. Also, Bananas and Pajamas was an elite childhood TV show. Did you guys watch it? I did not. I really? also did not. Was it after your time? Probably, yeah. I think it was more in my sister's timeline. Actually, wait, you're a... I think you're the same age as my sister, so that would make sense. You're 93, right? Mm-hmm. yeah okay cnod says hey guys how much money would you have uh would you give to listen in on conversations stevie has with the new players we heard a few wings during free agency and then uh echoed by verona now how highly stevie speaks of the team and what they're trying to do here p.s it's time for the checking line i honestly wouldn't pay for that because for sure it's like nice the things he says but it's definitely boring coach speak at the same time yeah i i, I it would not be worth our money because i don't think it would be that long <laughs> Eisman's like Here's what we're doing. Do you want in or not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Evans Flip Flop says, Hey, fellas, I'm really excited to come here today and tell you all that if I hear one more mention of Glenn Denning's face-off percentage, I'm going to peel off my own face-off and Naruto run right off the Robert F. Kennedy Bridge. <laughs> we didn't hear one instance of it today, did we? They gave oh, up on the campaign. Thank God. Uh, after listening to the Blash to Blashill's subtle backhand dig at Mantha, he better not be back next year. I really hope that Tom Dundon undercuts Brendan Moore so that he can come get paid here. It's not just Rod either. Most of his staff are up at the end of the year as well. And if they aren't properly compensated, then Rod could walk. Aussie for Hall of Fame, stay fresh cheese bags. I would love Rod the Bot in Detroit. Just for the quotes after the game, honestly. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Sarah will miss him. <laughs> Did you see what you... <laughs> Describe uh, Jordan Stahl in three words. No. No. <laughs> uh, Josh Bazura says, uh, it's about time for my annual tradition of getting too attached to a prospect. It paid off last year, so frick it. I'm kind of loving the idea of a Raymond Larkin Sedina line. Yeah, I don't think you'll have to wait terribly long for that in the grand, grand scheme of things. No. I think Raymond is out of the Red Wing, out of Detroit for one more season, and that's it. Uh, Zadina's world says, what's up boys. So clearly Mantha was the weak link here. This is not the same team we've been watching all season and you truly do love to see it. When do you think we'll get a full dose of Verena Larkin Zadina? I think once they fill out the forward group into 12 players, we'll probably see more of it. So when Svechnikov's healthy again. Yeah. Um, Slava Kozlov's doppelganger says, uh, Red Wings get too many men on the ice. Uh, Red Wings, I'll fucking do it again. What's your favorite video game? It doesn't have to be NHL, just any video game. I, at no point in my life have I been uh, a quote-unquote gamer. Like, three hours a week would be a busy week for me, even as a kid. Except for one summer, I lived and died by Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. So, that, that is, that is always going to be it for me. That's a phenomenal answer, and I'm so close to buying the remaster on PS5 right now. 
Because they remastered one and two and they're selling it on PS5. Do it. Absolutely yeah. do it. Um oh Evan, I bought uh uh 2K21 PG or PGA 2K21. I have that as well. <clears throat> it's as hard as real golf. If I wanted to suck at golf, I'd just golf. <laughs> oh, Why are you gonna real make golf's the game way that hard? More expensive. Yeah. Uh, that's true. I uh I have I fear the number of hours I have on some of my video games. Steam tracks some of them, but I don't have all my games on Steam. Yeah. There's a game I've been playing for 20 years. The uh, early in the podcast days, some of you might remember this. Evan used to not make episodes because he'd have a Counter-Strike tournament. I, <laughs> I forgot about that. I'm so yeah. bad at, at CS now, too. I was playing maybe a couple <laughs> weeks ago and I'm garbage. So that we, those days are behind me. We'd literally record at 9.30 a.m. because at noon this dude had a Counter-Strike tournament. I could yeah. kill them. <laughs> um, By the way, we don't time, have to worry about actual games anymore. Can we pretty please go back to recording in the morning? I miss that. That's the only time bad. I have energy. Yeah. Um, Slava Kozlov's doppelganger. Or sorry, that was the one I just read. Deathman6452 uh, says, I finally stopped being a cheap pleb in support of the show because somehow after seven-ish years of me listening, your quality has only gotten better. When the hell is Evan going to eat the damn pineapple? I think Evan's mouth is still did. recovering. <laughs> you did eat it once yeah i'd eat another one i love pineapple patreon exclusive uh, how about that's the first thing we do when we're back in the studio we'll get you a pineapple and <laughs> a bib and a pineapple sure you better not right. spill one goddamn drop on that table though i know i'm i'm cleaning this table and it's making me so nervous to treat it <laughs> Anyways, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. We'd like to thank all of our name-level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartel on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Ta- Terry, driver of Evans Furkwagen, Taylor Tagel, Brandon M., Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, uh, Evans Selling Dirty Shoes on OnlyFans, TM, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam al Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, uh, Adam, new name level sponsor, welcome. Aggressive Viper, new name level sponsor, welcome. Another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Leighton, Evans Flip Flops, Evans Bingo Card, Fine Crisco, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yeltsin, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Stan Olson, Trevor Pevivar. Thank you all so much. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.